Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Omnia Performance Podcast with myself, Fergus Crawley, with... Myself, Johnny Payne. And with... Dan Wallace. Today, we are going to go through two episodes with Mr. Dan Wallace to my right here. For those of you listening, you've just got to imagine a man to my right. And in episode <laughs> one, we're going to discuss Dan's career as an Olympic swimmer and eventually pulling gold on home turf in Glasgow in the Commonwealth Games, which is about as exciting as I think a swimming career can really get. And I mean that with an undertone of bias towards liking to do lots of things and being an average swimmer. <laughs> so moving into episode number two, we will discuss life after being Olympian and focusing your childhood on such a sport where it's such a disciplined existence. And you're just going to have to listen to both of them to understand what that entails. So before we dive into part one, we would like to request a couple of simple things from you, which is first and foremost to hit follow or subscribe, depending on what platform you're listening on. Make sure to rate and or review the show, share this episode or an episode previously with a friend and check out all of the links and things in the description as we would love to see your face pop up somewhere on the website, social media, etc., etc. So, going into today, Dan, hello, how are we? I'm good, thanks for having me. You are just back up in Scotland, aren't you? Just back up in Scotland from a few years down in London. Um, and yeah, enjoying being back home, being in Edinburgh, being by the sea, makes me happy. Why does being by the sea make you happy? Are you, are you, are you, are you okay at swimming or something? I, I enjoy <laughs> swimming now and then. Um, it's been a big part of my life. Um, a lot more in the pool. Um, but now these days, yeah, I like to get a bit more cold. So North Bear kind of fits that. It's very in vogue. Isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> it goes the other way, doesn't it? The older you get, the more you're like, you know what, I'd like, rather be a bit warmer. I know. More Speak for yourself, yeah. Johnny, just because you like whiskey and blankets. <laughs> do you, Dan, do you like whiskey and blankets? Yeah, it helps you warm you up after your swim. Exactly. So yeah, nice. I like both. In their place. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has its rightful place. Yeah. So growing up in Scotland, you have a myriad of sports to choose from. That's one of my favourite things about Scotland. I think we, mm. we can probably all agree is that the world is your oyster. Whilst it's a cold, wet, miserable one, you have access to hills, the sea, flat roads, hilly roads. There's, there's everything to go at. And you chose swimming. Why was that? Uh, it's a very good question. Well, I did a lot. I did a lot of other sports growing up. Um, did rugby, football, athletics, swimming. I was terrible at three of them. I was okay at one of them. <laughs> Um, so yeah, kind of like over time, I, I realised that swimming was something, well, I was always really comfortable in the water, that's a big reason that a lot of people don't pick swimming as a child, is that maybe they're not super comfortable in the water, but I was always comfortable, I was taught quite early, um, my parents were both keen to get me, um, you know, a, an avid swimmer from a young age, and that was just about kind of almost like a safety thing, to be honest, and I, I trained or I swam with my three siblings at the time, it was very much just a family thing, get us out of the house, keep us busy. And as I said, I did do a few other sports along the way. And then swimming kind of just became more of a, a passion than other ones. Um, and it kind of just snowballed from there, to be honest. I, I, I never looked at it as something that I wanted to pursue as a career. I just enjoyed to do it with my friends and my family, to be honest. At what point did you, at what point did it switch from being, from being kind of a family affair to being competitive then? Yeah, I can kind of almost remember the, the, the moment exactly. And I was riding about 15 years old and I was training down in a very small club in the Scottish Borders in a place called Duns, uh, Duns ASC, um, who've actually produced quite a few Olympians, which is very unique because they're a, a club of about 50 members. Um, so there's myself, um, Ewan Dale, who's having 2008 Olympics, and there's a few coaches that have gone on to, to coach at Olympics. So pretty um, pretty good turnout, I guess, from that club. So that's kind of where it started. And I was about 15 years old, and 
I had never really won any great medals at Scottish age group championship level before um, and I was invited to go along to a training camp for kind of like up and coming under 16 athletes, uh, under 16 swimmers and I remember going there and blowing everybody out of the water in training. So I, I realised that I was training harder and I was training better and I was giving more dedication than anyone else there. And I just kind of switched to being like, okay, then if I'm training better than these guys, I can maybe start to do better when it comes to competition. And then I think that was in December, January came around and there was a, a Scottish national competition. And I remember that's the first time I'd ever made the podium, first time I'd ever seen those results. So then I realised that, you know, I'm working hard, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Why don't you maybe take this a little bit more seriously? Because I think you could do quite well here. So it was around about 15, kind of had that light bulb moment. I was really just... Uh, a reflection of seeing the results from the training that I was doing. As I said, the small town in, in, in the Scottish borders, we were training maybe five, six times a week, but I wasn't getting much racing practice. So being able to see the yeah. hard work actually come to fruition was the, the belief that I needed that maybe this is something I could do, be quite good at. Yeah, yeah, because you probably need that opportunity to compare yourself to those around yeah. you. And you're like, yeah. and, and by the sounds of it, you had a, oh shit, I'm fucking good at this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't never, I wasn't never winning, but I was like, yeah, maybe I could be good at this. You okay. keep this going. Modest, and you can modest answer, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I bet he was 16, like, fucking yeah. yes, like <laughs> you animal. Ooh, Arnie poses in there. Like, <laughs> on the lane rope, like, let's go. <laughs> um, but like, I was, if you saw me as, as a 15 year old kid, I was this tiny little skinny guy. Like, I had no physical attributes that would make you think oh he's gonna be a great swimmer I was tall and I worked hard and I enjoyed it and that was kind of where it, where it, where it started but yeah I think it is important to to kind of see the results or, or have the opportunity to to go head to head to someone else yeah. if if you're trying to go down that competitive avenue which I think I was swimming is obviously a competitive sport it's good to have the opportunity to race against others because at that age like everyone is matured differently everyone's had like maybe someone has just started swimming some or just started their sport you you want to be able to have those opportunities to, to kind of just compare yourself and kind of see yeah. where you stand and if you enjoy the competitive side of things or if you do well then that kind of spurs you on to, to continue and that's kind of what happened for me as part of that mate when you when you sort of had that opportunity to compare yourself against the the skill and or the physicality of others how did you cope with with that competition then because there must have been a psychological it sounds like you very positively but there must have been a psychological element to that where you're like because some people could get into that situation and go oh god this is overwhelming people are looking at me there's all these other people in the pool who might be better than me and kind of choke a little bit but it sounds like the opposite either that or you just didn't really conceive of that I yeah think. i just think that i was always really well suited for the high pressure situations and i never really had that many at that age so when i went to my first big meet and you know, I, I did okay. I was like, this. Is, I, I like the energy. I like the pressure here. And I went to my second one. I did a bit better, and I realised that maybe I am quite well suited for those kind of high pressure situations okay. and the competitive environment, the competitive arena. And I think that's because, from an early age, I adapted that mindset of even when I was at training, it's just a normal training session, right? I was there to to race. I was there to compete. Okay. Whether it was against myself, doing better times than I did last week, or racing the guy next to me. That's all. That was my whole approach to training. So <laughs> the competitive environment for me was almost natural because that's just the mindset that I had every single day. I went to train to be the best there in a way. Yeah. Um, it wasn't win or lose. If I didn't win, I was upset. It wasn't that. I enjoyed the competitiveness. Even if I was getting beat, I enjoyed the opportunity to, to, push. to, to, to push myself and for the person next to you to push myself as well. Because I, I believe that you have to have 
someone there on your shoulder to push you forward. I think if, the, if there's no one there watching, I don't think I would do very well. You know, but if there's someone next to you, maybe they're ahead of you, maybe they're behind you, that's gonna that's gonna um, make the, the the result of the race different. And I think I always loved I always loved that kind of uh, environment. Sounds like you were kind of ready for it as well, because it's this, it's a kind of a tender age, isn't it? Fifteen, where you yeah, very malleable, happen. aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Could yeah. go either way. If and you I, had a bad experience, that might have been the game over the whole thing. And that's the thing. And, and sometimes it did go badly. And I remember the the first Scottish age group championships I went to at kind of 15. I maybe got a couple of medals. And I was like, this is amazing. And then the next year, I remember I didn't get any medals. And I saw them like eight different events. I made the finals, but I was getting fourth, fifth and sixth. And to most people, that might put them off. And I'm surprised it didn't put me off, to be honest. But I just liked to be involved in it at that point. And I, I still trusted the process I guess and I enjoyed the training and I knew that next year you know I'm going to get back on the podium and I did and it kind of then I had I then had a few more successful runs at it but yeah the even if I didn't win it didn't put me off and for some people it, it would um, and I think that maybe I'm just a bit luckier that's just kind of the way that I, I, I knew that that wasn't the end I knew that it was still going to be a few more chapters to Do go. You know a word mate that you've used uh, eight or nine times now that's really nice to hear is you, you've enjoyed it you, you yeah. seem to have fun with the process because yeah. again going back to that 15 year old you you could be in that situation and it doesn't sound like this happened at all you might have had pressure from your parents or pressure from the club you know you, you're a, you're a, a guy we, we expect more of you and all the rest of it but having lost a few or slipped back in the rankings didn't, mm. didn't put you off do you think that's because you were just having fun as much yeah as I was just having fun as I said I joined the club from a young age when I was just swimming with my siblings and, and I had quite a nice progression from it being very fun and family orientated to then me personally wanting to take it more seriously. I then moved into a larger club in Edinburgh that did take things more seriously. So I had quite a nice progression from, you know, it just being something I did after school to something that I want to do to see how good I'll be at it. Um, but the enjoyment was still there and I had, I'm kind of le leaping forward to when I got to kind of the, the elite level I spoke to a friend of mine, Michael Jameson, a few weeks ago. Uh, he was an Olympic silver medalist, Commonwealth silver medalist as well. And we just said, you know, that was, like, we look back in our career and we're like, that was just a bit of fun, wasn't it? We're like, yeah, it was just a bit of fun. So it was fun from the, the first day to the last day. And I made sure That's that was be. like my mantra. And that was yeah. always the, the root of why I was doing this was, yeah, I love to compete and I want to represent my country. But at the end of the day, like, it's just a bunch of my mates swimming every day and we're having a good time. There's another question. So, sorry, Fergus, you're probably itching to ask things, but I'm getting, yeah, you're getting, right, right, <laughs> getting, getting right into it. Talking to Mike. Well, I'm thinking about um, sports that I might have done, combat sports and things like that, where it's, it's, it's singular, it's, it's kind of solo. You, you, yeah. And, and swimming is. You know, mm. you ultimately are responsible for, mm. for, for, the, for the outcome. Clearly, you've got coaches and people around you. Um, but it does sound like as well that you, you kind of saw everybody as being a team. You know, get people around you that were with you on that journey. Is that is that fair to say, or is it? Yeah, did definitely. You feel like it was you. There's times when it's you, but I think, and I get at that question all the time. Like, is swimming an individual sport? And I think that nine times out of ten, like on the day at those big meets, yeah, when the whistle goes, when it's the whistle you. goes, you're on your own. Yeah. But I was training anywhere between twenty and thirty hours a week, and none of that was on my own. Yeah, that was yeah. all with my teammates and my kind coaches. Everybody brought you to that. Hundred percent, yeah, and you and you, you sacrificed together, and it made you bond. And especially when I went to university, it was much more of a team oriented atmosphere and environment, and I and I loved that because yeah. it made me. Um, yeah, it was it was bigger than just myself. Um, but the, yeah, when you're right, when it when it comes to those big competitions, those high pressure situations, like it is kind of you are on your own, but you've got the training and you've got the backing of your teammates, your support staff, 
your, your friends and family. So it, it was kind of like, yeah, create that support system around you so that you individually can go on to do well. And when you pop out the other side, it's not just I won this, it's we won this. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. That's kind of something I believed in from, from day one. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's good to hear. So when you had that moment where you realised that oh, I can actually be good at this, this mm-hmm. is something I'm going to pursue. And with that competitive mindset that's clearly innate in you, like that willingness to operate in a competitive arena without your ego being the only thing that matters, yeah. which means you can take a fifth place or sixth place without thinking, oh, I'm done. From that moment onwards, was success black and white, Olympics, nothing but? Uh, no, it definitely wasn't. Um, and this is something I speak about quite a lot. My Especially at that age, like I realised I wanted to be really good. I realised that I probably could be quite successful in sport, but there was never like a black and white end goal, like, okay... If I go to Olympics, that means I reached the goal. It was like, if you give this 110% effort, let's just see how far you can go, and you'll know when you've reached that. There's not a defining title, there's not a medal, there's not an event you'll reach, but you'll just know when it happens. Um, But then obviously, as I progressed in my career, I knew that that top level could be the Olympics, that top level could be, you know, world championship medal, whatever it was. So along the way, I got... A more clear idea of what success would look like but from that decision at 15 years old to pursue swimming as something I wanted to be the best I could be at there wasn't like how oh, you have to win this medal to, to succeed and I think I quite like that there was never a hard stop in success it was just see where it goes and enjoy yeah, it I like that man, because yeah. I mean, you're still you're still describing that kind of 15 year old in a way aren't you that yeah. kind of realisation that, that <laughs> yeah, you like a young it. mind yeah well, I mean that really is a realisation that you loved it realisation that you could do something with it the way that you were saying you're competing with yourself and, and you know being better than you maybe had been two days ago, that kind of thing, yeah. which, which fits into all our mindsets here anyway, is that I, I guess that if, if you had suddenly at 15 had this idea, I want to win the Olympics or, or whatever it might be, it's so big a stretch yeah. that generally people can't can't last that long. It surely has to be incremental. Yeah. Or at least if it isn't, if, if you were to try and do that big long thing, you, you'd spend a long time suffering, even if you got there, it might not. Yeah. I, don't know, I think that would be a hard journey, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's too big. It's too big a goal too soon. You put you put you put the future on a pedestal, which means you stop enjoying the process of getting there. Which in a sport like swimming, you you can't look too far in the future because you're just pool tile after pool tile after pool tile and nothing but. So you need you need to you need to enjoy that process. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get the output you're looking for. But it sounds like you had as healthy a relationship with the sport as a teenager as anyone I've ever heard. Yeah, which is it's awesome, isn't it? But it, like the question there is is why? Do you think you were yeah. do you think you were born to swim or do you think there's environmental factors, your parents, the club specifically? Because you you must be thinking now, how can how can I make sure that Poppy Genuinely. feels the same way about gymnastics? Yes, yeah, so my daughter's a, a British champion uh, oh god, she'll correct me if I'm wrong, two times over Scottish champion wow. times. Really real good gymnast. Amazing. Uh, and what's interesting about it, hopefully I'll get back to the microphone, what's interesting about it, uh, from your perspective I'd like to hear, is that you said initially uh, y- your parents took you and it was just a family thing, it was just mm. like, let's let's get down active, let's do something, and like you say, make sure you're safe in the water and all that. That's, that was my introduction to swimming, I just didn't have the same, I didn't go on from there at all. I'm shit at swimming, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but but that, that was kind of, tragi- what I'm saying is most people, w- if they've been swimming as kids, it's because they've gone through that kind of family yeah. process and all the rest of it. We did the same thing with Poppy, is that it was a case of we just wanted her to be physical, wanted her to do something that kind of covered a lot of, a lot of physical aspects, like she'll be moving, she'll be jumping, she'll be turning, and surely it should be fun. And it was never anything other than that for us as parents. And she found a competitive edge in it, and she 
really enjoys the community, uh, sees herself as a gymnast, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's frustrating for her, I'm sure it was for you many times, but uh, so she'll come home hard on herself because she didn't do what she wanted to do on that day. Yeah. But actually, she'll come home with these medals and then just hang them up, and then you say, where's your medal? Oh, I, don't know, I don't know where to put it. Uh, because her relationship with it is not driven by this kind of overarching stick that says you must do. Mm. It's driven by her enjoyment of it. And it sounds like you're very much the same. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it just became, you you touched on it there, like you know, Poppy sees herself as, as a gymnast. Like I saw myself as a swimmer. It was part of my identity. And yeah. I was almost like proud of that. Um, you know, I definitely had an amazing childhood as a swimmer. Um, and I had a very kind of happy and healthy relationship with the sport. And I think that because it, it, like, it, it was my outlet. So I was obviously... In high school, high school is a very stressful time and everyone's kind of got their own thing going on and I was really happy that I had something that I really cared about outside of school. It had nothing to do with my relationships or or what I had going on at school time. It was like I knew I had something that I really cared about that I could do after school and obviously before school as well because swimming starts pretty early. Um, (laughs) But I, I just enjoyed having that as part of my identity and I loved the competitiveness and yeah, like it was a really healthy relationship and, and it and it and it continued to be the whole way through. So I'm not sure what the defining factor of that was. Um I think that there's the I guess natural competitiveness. I mean I, I grew up with like three other siblings. Yeah, there's maybe but, some of that. <laughs> so there was like I was always like trying to one over someone and I think that, that was that came from a really good place and then that, that kind of and passed over into sport and kind of maybe yeah. Do any of your siblings swim? So we all swam together and like just like everyone, people drop off and do different things. My brother went into rugby. My sisters, they were actually amazing swimmers as well, and they they went into teaching as well. So swimming has been a massive part of our family. But it was interesting to see out of all of us, like they all had different interests, and that was fine. And then my younger sister, who came along a bit later on, I at that point I was starting to do quite well, and everyone's like, oh, is Lily going to be? you know, the next big thing swimmer. I was like, I, maybe. I'm not going to pressure her in any way. She's a fantastic swimmer and has really natural ability in the water, but she kind of stopped swimming about a year ago and now does netball and hockey, and I'm, like, really happy about that because yeah. she still has that same relationship with sport that I did. So I was never... There was never pressure, and there was maybe a little bit of pressure for her. Not that I ever put it on her or never tried to, that my brother's a really good swimmer. I'll have to be a good swimmer. There was never that... But she's a great swimmer. She's an all-round athlete, and I think that she, I can see her in getting the enjoyment out of sport that I did, and that's enough for me as her older yeah, brother. Yeah. You know, very cool. So, where did things start to move in the direction that ultimately got you to the Olympics? Because I know you, you ended up going to university in America, didn't mm-hmm. you? And that yeah. that's a process in and of itself that's quite challenging. Yeah. But this isn't in any way to discredit you going to university in America. But athletic collegiate sports, there was a period of time where if you were British, you got reasonable SATs and you were good at a sport, it was, you're straight in mm. and you were put to work. Is that kind of the process that you went through? Was it something you always wanted to do? Was America the place to be for development or was it just the natural next step? I think that, so going back to when I was maybe about 16, 17, maybe had one year where I didn't do very well, what I was very good at was looking back on areas that I can improve in. The first one was my strength. As I mentioned before, I was the skinniest little guy, so I knew that I had to get bigger and stronger. That was the first thing that I changed and the first area that I improved on that allowed me to even get into the point where I was having conversations with the universities because at 16, there was, you know, I could have been good, but I would def- I don't think I would have got a scholarship anywhere. Put on a bit of muscle, put on a bit of strength. Swimming started to become a bit more of a more rounded um, success for me. 
I then looked into uh, the way that America came up. Honestly, was I was looking around the other universities. I knew that I wanted to be in a performance environment, and there wasn't really anyone in the UK swimming my specific events that was like challenging for world medals or anything. They were all going to the Commonwealth Games. They were making Olympics, but they were they weren't making the finals. And it's no disrespect to anybody that I raced with in the UK, but there was no one that was challenging world records. And to be honest, at that point, I was like, if I'm taking this seriously, I want to, you know, shoot for the stars. So I literally naively just Googled where the fastest swimmer in the world was for my (laughs) event. And at the time, it was the University of Florida. His name was Ryan Lochte. He was Michael Phelps' arch rival. Still is the world record holder for the 200 individual medley, which is one of my events. Googled where he trained. University of Florida came up, emailed the head coach and was like, I'm Dan, this is what I'm doing. I didn't know about the process at all. That's not how you do it. This is so fucking this, analytical for an 18 year old. This is, this is, like a, this is you, you love swimming. <laughs> I was like, I just need to be. We've kind of leaned away from this idea that he's a competitive animal. <laughs> what he's saying is, I zoned in on the number one and I went to find I him. Ha- I hunted him down. So, That's so cool. Yeah. yeah just that the approach is phenomenal. Yeah. I love and it. then I get an email back from Greg Troy, who was a, an amazing coach and the US Olympic coach in 2012. And he emailed me back saying, listen, Dan, like you sound great. Love, obviously love the attitude that you've got here, but your times are just slightly off. So almost my mum sees the email and she goes, nah, 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 just has a couple glasses of wine. Emails him back being like, listen, Gregory, <laughs> my Food dad's going to be the next big thing. He's going to be amazing for your team, this and that. And, and, and obviously this Scottish lady, keyboard warrior and he was like whoa okay Scottish just came right through that yeah 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 we really showed our roots and he said yes Um, and I then went out there and that's kind of how it happened which is bizarre and it's definitely not did you, have to do, did you have to do SAT? Yeah, I had to go. Okay, there. Okay. I, he then goes, okay, yeah, okay. go. If you pass your SATs and all that, you yeah. go through the actual process because this is not how it usually works, Dan. Then, yeah, we can accept you. So I did all that, passed them, and I'd never even been to the US. I'd never even been over there before. So when he said about this SATs, your mum didn't get back on him. No, listen to me. <laughs> yeah. My Dan doesn't do SATs. <laughs> <laughs> she tried, but he's like, no, you have to do that. I was like, okay. Consider okay. this email a pass. <laughs> <laughs> so get, getting there, because from what I've gathered, I mean, let's, let's use the example of a college in America's gym. Yeah. I've been to one in Nevada. I used it as my last set of 120 for triples before the powerlifting world champs in Las Vegas in like 2010, 11, whenever yeah. it was, years ago. It was later than that, but anyway, irrelevant. And the college gym was better than any private gym that exists within the UK, and that is standard. So yeah. that alone makes my perception of training for a sport at an American college a completely different thing to doing it over here at a university. Because when I joined Durham, there was one squat rack for the yeah. entire university mm-hmm. that you could access if you weren't in a first or second performance team, which was hockey, rugby, lacrosse, um, football, and tennis. And the rest of them, it was a scrap. It was like b- people bidding on the side of the street, like, yeah. please take me on the bus yeah. for a space in the performance gym. So it just, the standard, the, the discrepancy was enormous, and that's always kind of really bothered me. And you see that, that, high school football team with 60,000 people watching them on a Friday night yeah, and then Edinburgh, get, Edinburgh struggled to get 9,000 for their yeah. home games. And you just wonder, where is that discrepancy? But you experienced that singular focus in one of these environments. So based on your experience versus the experience of people I'm sure you've competed with that went to UK universities, yeah. how was it different? And 
it's t totally different. And I realized that the facilities and opportunity was different pretty early on. That was the reason that I looked into the US. Like I'd seen the gyms in Sterling and Loughborough at the time back in 2010 and they, were n they weren't special. And I thought that's definitely a reason these guys aren't winning you know, these medals. Um, and now, going back, those facilities have now really improved. I was in Stirling last week and they've got a great facility now. But at the time, none of that made me very excited. So I looked into the US and yeah, you're right, like the gym we had at University of Florida was like unbelievable. They had every single equipment 10 times over. They had different, you know, very prestigious weight coaches for every different team. They had so much support staff, the nutrition, the rehab. Um, they had everything there. And as, as I said, I'd never even been over there to visit, so this was all new to me when I arrived, but I had done a bit of research and looked into it, but yeah, the, just the opportunity there, and, and we touched on it before as well, like around the team environment, and that was something that I picked up on really early on, something that I realised they didn't really have over here as much was, you know, these high-performance facilities in Bath and Loughborough, Stirling, and, and so on. They, they were very individually focused, and as much as sport is an individual team, I knew I needed to be in a team environment. People um, around you. Yeah, so going to U University of Florida, Florida Gators, they're all about the team because for them, it's like the NC2A championships. They want to do well as a team. So the whole training, the whole season is revolved around team results. And I like that. Um, so I went out there, the facilities blew me away. The camaraderie and the just the energy of wanting, as teammates, me wanting you to do as just as well as I am doing was something I never saw over here in the UK at the time and I thrived in those situations so seeing the facilities re realising that I'm surrounded by individuals that want me to do well just kind of catapulted my career and that's when it really started to kind of um, yeah take traction and do really well not, not to be critical or point fingers but I've heard from people that have attended Loughborough that essentially there's a lot of assessing who's on number one and then all of the eggs of the department go into that number one yeah. and everybody else gets left behind. I think it's all as a matter of just a, a resource. It sounds like the difference between the two set up. Well, you've described it yourself in the actual fact is, is that the um, the focus on, on the team as a whole, some of that's clearly uh, cultural, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the way that the, the whole system's set up to, to kind of allow sports to thrive over that. Uh, and some of it's got to be about financial resource. I think it's, uh, you know, Loughborough uh, and, and you know anecdotal examples. And you know, I've worked in, in in these universities, and you know that there's only a certain amount of resource that you've got, even as teaching staff. You're talking about having a strength and conditioning coach for yeah. each kind of individual thing, and uh, a nutritionist. Uh, this big multidisciplinary team. Yeah. Whereas usually in the uh, in the British system, you've got maybe one guy wearing three hats or or one coach that's actually spread across lots and lots of different sports and therefore doesn't have a, a really uh, decent specificity in one. And again, as you say, not to speak against anybody because the setup has improved and, and uh, these things have been recognised, but you know they're a very different culture. But it seems to be that, once again, you've kind of managed to find yourself in a situation that you're going to thrive in. Because if, if it was the other way around, let's, let's pretend that you were in the situation we've just described but did have the focus of the department on you. They decided that Dan's our man and we're going we're to focus on him. Mm. That probably wouldn't have worked for you because then you would have been singularly, we're going to keep you in this bubble and make you be our athlete. And after a short amount of time, it sounds like you might have said, yeah, but without that whole kind of larger environment around me that I can thrive in, none of this is going to work for me. Yeah, 100%. And I think that I've been asked the question before, you know, if you were to do it again, would you 
would you go anywhere different? And to be honest, I think I would go straight back to the University of Florida or at least an environment like that. I think that if I had been focused on more than anyone else, I wouldn't have enjoyed that. I needed to be almost like an equal and I needed to prove myself that yeah, I was yeah. going to become kind of a, a big fish. Um, so, yeah, I think that... Good pun, good pun, very good. There we go. Um, <laughs> and like... You I know, nearly said, did you feel a fish out of water? I'm going to leave that. Don't one. do it, Johnny, don't do it. You're very efficient. Yeah, there we go. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, no, we're done, yes. But like, yeah, looking at the resources, I mean, you touched on it there, but like high school, American football stadiums being filled. Like we were filling, as a university, we were filming, filling the stadium. 70,000 fans were coming, all paying... That's just cash. Watch you guys swim. No, 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 not to watch us swim. Sorry, I say me. I meant the football team. The football yeah, team yeah. was selling out seventy thousand tickets that's every single mental. Saturday. But then that's that's the basketball team was selling out fifteen thousand. The gymnast, yeah. like it was a profitable business, and yeah. that money was going straight Go back straight into back the into athletic the system, department yeah. and and to you know so every. Every year, 18 months, there was a new building being built for the mm-hmm. gymnasts or the swimmers or the football team because there was so much money coming into it. Whereas, like, universities here, like, they don't have as much funding or resources coming in because they're maybe not, it's not a business as such. Even, over the, there, it was. even the disciplines within that, you know, looking at our trade and all the rest of it, the, the strength and conditioning coaches there then have the opportunity for funding to come in. They can do CPD, they can keep on top of things, yeah. they can be, you know, th- they can educate themselves. You know, consistently, mm. and again, not to say that people here aren't or weren't doing that, but no. knowing the system well enough, I know that it, it, it's just not set up for that. You know, you would, you would be, you talked about Duns where you started out being kind of almost lucky that they had a little bit of a history there, mm-hmm. uh, but that would have been about a certain amount of passion in swimming. It wouldn't be because anybody was giving them money. You know, no, <laughs> no, yeah, it was uh, all kind yeah. of. But ima- imagine if Duns had had an injection of American money. How many Olympians and Commonwealth Games athletes would have come out of that little swimming club? Yeah, you ask. Yeah, we'll it's know. interesting. I'd love to know. I reply. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it really, but the whole this whole conversation brings up the nature nurture debate big time because you clearly, I mean, I flippantly said it, but you clearly were innately born to swim, and then you went into an environment that really brought that to life, mm. and then found yourself on the world stage, but. Managing the pressure of going to university where your your mission was to chase down Lochte and knowing that that's where you went there. How did you manage being at an age where whilst you were clearly very, very mature, head on your shoulders to be viewing things in the way that you did, how did you manage the pressure of being that team environment working towards the big, hairy, scary goal, which was Commonwealth Games, Olympics? Because there's a lot going on there. And whilst you support the guy next to you, when it comes to the time to perform, you want to look out for number one. Yeah, I think that... Going back to the environment I was in and the choices that I made and the teams I was involved in, I, I think I was very, very lucky because what the University of Florida did really well was they did focus on that international arena as well. So they wanted to send all their swimmers to the Olympics, whether they're from Poland, UK or America. Um, so I, I had a really good system there where there was definitely a priority for succeeding outside the NC2A tournament um, and the NC2 kind of championship. So for me... I mean, I guess I just, I took the pressure off because I knew that was surrounded by ones that were doing it as well. So I, I learned from Ryan, Ryan Lochte as much as I could every single day, seeing what he was doing. We had a team of like 40 of us. So, and some people look at that almost in a negative way, like there's too many of you for, you know, you can't all do well. And maybe that's right. Maybe the coaches can't give us as much attention, but you throw a lot of us in, give us the same kind of training and, and some of us will do well. And I knew that I just had to prove myself. Um, and I really still enjoyed it. And when I went out to University of Florida, I almost got knocked back a few pegs because when I left, 
at 18 years old in Scotland anyway, I was, you know, one of the, definitely one of the better junior swimmers, kind of breaking into the senior ranks, feeling quite confident that I was coming towards the top of the rankings in Scotland. I didn't really like that. I wanted there to be way more ahead of me. So when I went, went out to University of Florida, I was then suddenly this tiny little person, you know, a big team that was doing well already. So there was no pressure originally. The pressure for me was just to prove that I belonged there. Um, and then from there, did well and started to think about, okay, now that you're, you're learning from the best in the world, you've now got to put that into action. You know, you've got to take away, you know, the hours you're spending with Ryan and with Greg Troy and these coaches and, and making the most of the facilities. There was that pressure to now deliver. Um, but I think that it was just, you know, I had that competitive drive. And again, there was no, there was no hard stop to what success looked like. But I knew that at that point, you know, I'll make a world championship team. That'll be, that'll be a tick. I'll make an Olympic team, that'll be a tick. So it was just still day by day. There was never, just because I was in a, a bigger environment and I had more opportunities, there was, I didn't put pressure on that to have to do well. I just still tried to have those same, the same mentality I did as when I was at Duns. So what was the qualification process from there to GB World Championships to Commonwealth Games to Olympics? Talk us through how that happened. And I assume the moments where you touched the wall and you, fucking hell, I've done it. Yeah. Um, so the way it worked was... 2011 I went out to University of Florida, 2012 Olympics I went to the trials but I was never in the running for that, that was more of a, like a learning opportunity, yeah. yeah. 2013 I was then, um, I was I was going to the World Championship trials and there's the World Championships and there's the World University Games, the World University Games is almost like the, the, the B, if you don't make Worlds you can go to World Unis but you have to be on the selection criteria for that so you have to be like already approved from team gb to be in in the running for the world universities okay. so i put my name forward for that in case i didn't make world champs and they and they said oh i actually don't think you're you're even in the conversation for world unions like i don't think you're quite there now i took that personally and i, I was like where'd that go in your head i was like well, are you kidding me and fair <laughs> enough i hadn't done that i hadn't done much that summer because i was still breaking from junior to senior so maybe they had Maybe they're right in saying that. Anyway, I went to World Champ Trials. I made the World Championship team. I surpassed. I, I skipped the World Unity team, made the World Championship team. Again, first senior competition, Barcelona. Went in there completely unranked. And I was like, you know, if I get a best time, I'll be happy. Again, this is my first international competition. And then I managed to make the final. And I think I got seventh out of eight, so it's nothing to celebrate. But for me, it was like, you know, I'm finally competing against you know I'm, I'm in that final I have a chance to win a medal I'm finally in the conversation to, yeah. to, to 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 bring back some hardware which was amazing so and then from there I went into 2014 Commonwealth Games so at this point I'm starting to figure out that I'm starting to I guess learn what it's like to compete on an international stage at a senior level which is a big jump up from yeah. a junior level um, so I was just every single year every season seeing more that I can learn. I was like a sponge. Um, and then I went to 2014 and I'd had a really good year at uh, University of Florida. And the way it works is when you're over in America, you actually swim short course yards, so 25 meter short course yard pool, so pretty small pool. Whereas at an Olympic level or an international level, it's 50 meters. So sometimes you can have swimmers that are really good short course. Maybe they're really dynamic and powerful around the walls and the starts. That wasn't me. I managed to get away with it as much, as much as I could in America, but I knew that the bigger pool was where I was more suited. My swim speed, my endurance was what, what made me, I guess, successful. So no one really had their eyes on me coming into 2014, even though I'd had a really good meet 
in America, had a really good season in America, short course yards, they were like, oh, no, he's just, he's an American short course yards, so they're not going to worry about him. So I went into Comedy Games, like, kind of unranked, and, you know, as you guys know, like, I had an amazing meet there, and that's when I, that's when I won my first ever international medal, and I loved it, and I was like, <laughs> I, bet you did. I, I, I can do this again. Which, for anyone listening, lacking context, a pretty good swim meet and an international medal was a gold medal on home turf at the Commonwealth Games yeah, as an unranked swimmer. You've undersold that a little yeah, bit. That's, <laughs> that is the, the holy trifecta of, oh yes, I have done this. I did quite well. Yeah, yeah. But you won it, didn't you? <laughs> but, but it was just a bit of fun, wasn't it? It was just a bit of fun. And, and it goes back to that natural progression, like 2013 World Championships, going in there with no goals other than learning experience into 2014 Commonwealth Games, kind of first time I knew that I could do well and rise into that occasion. And there was so much that happened in that competition, like the self-belief that I had. I remember I was, I was in the, what they call the call room, the ready room before you walk out to your race. And I'd actually had an amazing um, prelim swim, so you swim the heats in the finals. I'd broken the Commonwealth Games record in the morning. So I was like, all right, I'm doing. Yeah. I'm on fire here. So you were unranked going into the Comedy Games, but going into the final, were people like, "Oh, there's yeah. something happening so here"? I, yeah. I, okay. I qualified so I qualified first into the final. It wasn't a movie plot where you saved it all until no. The, no. <laughs> I, still I didn't like plan any movie. Yeah. It's like, who's this guy? Wait a minute, he's just fucking smashed a record. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in lane four, st- stood in my seat like this, in a row, and every time I've been in that situation before, I've been like, oh you know, Fergus will win, like, he's won before, like, you know, Johnny will win, he's won before, where I'm like, for the first time, I was like, I'm in lane four, like, this is my race to win, or my race to lose, whatever, but every time I would doubt myself, oh, someone else will win, someone else will win, and then I was like, this is the first time in your life that you've got this real opportunity to be the guy that wins, why not do that, and it was just a, literally a switch in my head, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going in this race to win, there's now a hard goal of what success looks like in this race, whereas my whole career before was like, just see how well you do. Just try your best. That's an peak. interesting switch, though, mate. Because sorry, to kind of cut you off there at the end. But the um, it's interesting to hear that because you would expect then that well, you not expect, but the, the way that the, the commentary has gone so far, your, your story is that you you're kind of in there. You're very much competing against yourself. You're very not. That's the first time I heard you say directly. You're like, no, I'm the fucking man here. You know. <laughs> And actually, sometimes when people get that in their head, again, just in my experience with, with the fighters, especially if somebody says, oh, "I can, I can win," I am definitely the man. Usually, that's when they get their heads knocked off. Yeah, <laughs> because they they forget not not humility. They forget uh, to focus in on the job and start thinking about sort of thinking outside of themselves a little bit. I'm going to go real hard. You go too hard. You push too hard. Your your struggle goes off, and, and your skill sort of degrades a little bit. But it sounds like that was almost a trigger for you to step up even more. Yeah, it was the first real opportunity I had to, you know, to win a medal. Um, like the year before I made the final, it was just it was just to be there and get the experience. This time round, I'd just broken the record in the morning. I'm like, all right, you know, it's pretty black and white. You've got a chance to win a medal here. And if you look at the race, you wouldn't think that was my approach because I turned it halfway and I was dead last. And I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've dropped the ball pretty hard here. And then I'm swimming through, I'll break, the, I'll break down the race for you, um, swimming through at halfway, I'm dead last. The crowd must be thinking, who the hell is this guy in for? And then I'm swimming through the breaststroke, I, I climb up the ranks slightly, I turn with three lengths to go and I turn in third position and then swimming, you can't really see what's going on, but I push off the wall in the water and I can actually see the two guys ahead of me, Sebastian Rousseau and Tommy Frazier Holmes. I trained with Seb in University of Florida. So I knew he's going to struggle at the end because he's not got... Okay. the endurance that I had 
Um, but I also knew I was in bronze position, and I'm pushed off the under off under the water, and I go, oh, bronze is pretty good. Like, you know, we all bronze, bronze is, is bro- pretty bronze good. Is good right? <laughs> it is to be bronze fair. Bronze is good. Yeah. It's like you're looking for support, as if oh. Yeah. And then, but then I was like, bronze is good, and then I'm like, but I can beat Sebi. I was like, I can beat, I can catch these guys, and I will if I don't give everything I have, I'll be disappointed because ninety nine percent of the crowd are rooting for me. So I went from you know accepting bronze for like a millisecond to being like, nah, you're 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 winning gold. You're absolutely going for it, and I just emptied the tank on that second length of breaststroke and it was basically just a race to the end and it worked out in my favour but yeah. like I can see the race and I can play it through my head pretty pretty Is clearly it, do you, when you're in that moment then just that that's really interesting me just that particular bit there is that you, you see this guy ahead of you Seb poor Seb I feel bad for him I know I love <laughs> Seb Seb you're listening hope yeah. you're doing well so you see Seb ahead of you and you know that you can probably maintain your pace to the end whereas you know his pace is just gradually going to start to dip so confidence there from that moment, or was it just a case of right? Stop thinking about this fucking head there. Or was that enough analysis? You had the time to. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like looking back at those previous years where I wasn't winning medals, but I was gaining experience. You gain experience about how you can do well in those arenas, but you also gain experience about the competition. You understand yeah, a little sure, more sure. at that point. I knew Seb, and there was two other Scottish boys in a the race. There was an, a, an English boy. I kind of knew what their race styles were like and you play into that. So yeah, I said I turned the last at halfway, but like I knew I was always going to be towards the end. Maybe not that far back, but I was going to be towards the end. So it was, I was still confident. I was still in control the whole way, mm-hmm. but I knew that I had to then make every move perfect from there on out. But uh, yeah, there's, there's this mentality, like when you're swimming and you probably get it in running as well, like if you see yourself catching somebody up, it's like you've got the turbos on it. It's, it's yeah, easier. Yeah. But in the, in the hindsight, and the flip, the, fl- the flip side, sorry, if you feel someone catching you up, it's like you'll feel like a ton of bricks. Yeah. So Seb obviously felt me catching him up. I felt me catching him up, and it just worked out really well for one of us, and not very yeah. well for yeah. the other. Yeah. How did how did it feel? Home turf, gold medal, and Commonwealth Games. The privilege is you get I, to fly. I'm excited right now. You, you, just sat yeah. here again. You, you, and I remember seeing you, you get to fly the Scotland flag. Know, living it again a little bit. Yeah. It's it not. Was, it's not GB. It's, it's Scotland, and which is yeah. re- it's hot and on home turf as well. Like that. That's that is the perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you touch the wall with a gold. Like that must have been. Did you know when you hit the wall, or, or did you have to touch the wall and then? Sh- was there milliseconds well, in it? There was. De- there was. There wasn't milliseconds in it. But the way that it worked, I was breathing to my right, and Seb was to my left. So that last length, all I could see were saltire flags, just yeah. like. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> is a movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, just keep going, put your head down, touch the wall, and then I was like. Thank God, I, you know, that's great. And I, I was I need to celebrate. So I got my rope and I shouted, I think I shouted like for freedom or something like that, which is not very smart to do during a referendum. But <laughs> you don't you don't practice that. They don't teach you what to do when you win an international medal. So and if you are practicing, you're one of those people that's going to get your head knocked off because you go into it thinking you're the big man. Yeah, exactly. So that was... How unfortunate that you don't get it. Okay. <laughs> um, With a voice break. Oh, no. <laughs> it's all over on TV. Um, but yeah, it, it was the first real time where I got to like really soak in that kind of um, the success and yeah. what was great about home turf was like I could see my family my friends in the crowd that was really cool to experience and that was yeah I guess like my first taste of like winning an international medal and I was like I want to keep doing this for as long as I can yeah. and um, yeah that's kind of really what's what, what kind of sprung me forward in my career and probably the highlight if not one of the best times. So Olympics next. Yeah, Olympics next. What was the transition from 2014 to 2016? What did that look like? Was there... You've just, you've just hit gold on home turf. You say you want to do this for the rest of your life. 
did that all manifest as confidence for the Olympics or did going a, another ring up the ladder then sort of make you think, oh, right, back to the reserved, humble version of myself that is standing on the blocks, looking around and making a calculated decision on where you are in the placings? Because a, a, lot of, a lot of conventional advice and understanding would be that unless you're standing on the blocks thinking you're going to win, there's no point in being there. Mm. But the whole way through this swimming yeah. career, you sound very deliberated and practical about how to approach everything. So how did you translate that into the prep from Commonwealth Games to the Olympics? Yeah, so 2014, 2016, two years. You know, essentially what I did was, I, what, whatever I was doing was working to an extent, but I knew that, you know, from commies to Olympics is another step up. I would have, you know, Americans and, and, and all sorts to deal with. So um, I had to just keep doing what I was doing, but if I could kind of, you know, just ramp up even even more. Um, so to be honest, things didn't really change. We went to 2015, which was World Championships. So I got another taster of, you know, kind of where I was sitting internationally. Um, we ended up winning a gold medal there in a relay. Um, so I realized that, you know, if we have another good relay next year, that means that not only can I go to the Olympics, possibly if I make the team again, but we could possibly, you know, you know, we could argue for a medal there. So every year, as I said, was a, just a slight progression me understanding where I was sitting within the world rankings, what I needed to do to progress. Um, so I just kept doing what I was doing, to be honest. I didn't put any more pressure on it. I, I, if anything, I had more fun before 2014, 2016 than I did my entire career because I knew that things were doing well. I was getting the results. I was getting to have those moments of success. Mm -hmm. But I was still just training the exact same way with the same mentality, you know, the team really helped me stay grounded for sure. I loved being involved in a team environment, as I mentioned before. So that made me take any pressure off. I didn't think too much about I need to make Olympics. It was like if I just keep doing what I'm doing with my teammates, that we're all going to do really well. I'm obviously on this trajectory to possibly make the Olympic team. So it was all just yeah, as I said, I kind of just enjoyed those two years more than I did any other any other kind of part of my career. Strolling onto the Olympic Park, feelings, fear. Apprehension, concern, confidence. What was it? Drunk. Excitement. Drunk. <laughs> <laughs> After party is going to be good. Um, <laughs> I mean, Olympic Village is amazing. It was. It's a really cool place, and I love that. People say, "What was the highlight of the Olympics?" Like you know, what, standing on the podium. Sure, being in part of the Olympic Village was an amazing experience, and I'm not sure if you guys have spoken to any Olympians before, but yeah, you good, know, good friend of mine is Ian Mackey, and and Ian has talked about this before as well. Is that yeah. That kind of camaraderie and, and the fact that you're somewhere special that's kind of only you're really going to experience. It's like N Nick Simmons said the same when I spoke to him. Yeah. He, and he said it's what he, something he misses a lot. Just, yeah. yeah. So cool. Can't do that again. <laughs> it's, the, it's the most like VIP yeah. club group you can be in, like to be an Olympian, to be then in the village and see it all firsthand. And there's, it's like tiny little things. Like you go into the food court and it's like obviously all the, the, the best food you can get there and you, it's all buffy style and it's all really nutrition stuff. But we're sat on these big tables and there's a few, like four or five swimmers, we all sit down and there's a group of athletes and we're just like, they just start speaking to us. And I'm like, oh, because everyone's kind of sticks to their clicks. That's what you normally think, but it's not like that. We're speaking to the Kenyan running team, the, the USA basketball yeah. team. Like everyone's just mingling. And I think it's because we're all, this is how I describe it, we're all there as equals to do the same thing and that is to represent our countries at the highest level, right? Yeah. So... Everyone, it doesn't, you know, I it immediate respect. Like, essentially, yeah. everybody has earned the right to be here. That's and even exactly if you don't it. win, you're still 
There's very few people yeah. in the world are going to know how it feels to feel what you're feeling. Yeah. But all those people that do know that are right there. Yeah, so <laughs> it was an amazing... <laughs> It was an amazing response to the environment to be a part of. And I and that's what blew me away. It was like and I was like, Yeah, wow, we're at the Olympics and we're all at the Olympics. Some of us are gonna win medals, some of us aren't, but you know what, we're all here, we've all earned the right to be here. And I felt that physically and I saw that um, immediately. So that was kind of yeah, amazing experience to and it kinda hit home, like, all right, you know, you're you're now at the Olympics, you know, maybe had a day or two to soak it in and then it was like you know, you're here to kind of do a job. So the pressure did start to pile on then, mm -hmm. um, but I was embracing it. What did the job look like? Because you gave a very uh, clearly remembered, weird way of phrasing it, but is, is that grammatically correct? Clearly yeah. remembered? Well remembered, that's a more conventional yeah, phrase. Clearly remembered. Yeah, yeah, okay, anyway, could have just moved past it. <sighs> what a mess. Nonetheless, <laughs> you remembered the last race very well in yeah. Glasgow. So the race, Yeah. what happened? So I had two races at the Olympic Games. Um, I had the 4x200 freestyle relay, um, which in Glasgow, the Scots won silver. In 2015 Worlds, Team GB had won gold. Um, but this year, we knew the Americans had a better team. They had Michael Phelps back from retirement. Probably heard of him. That's not a memo you want to oh, receive, is no. it? No. <laughs> Phelps is back. Oh, Usain Bolt's back, guys. <laughs> no. Uh, so we knew we had a work cut out. We knew that other team, everyone there was better than they were the year before. Um, I was lucky enough to be on the team. I was in the most of the way it works. You have four summers in the morning. If you're lucky enough, you can have a brand new team in the evening or you maybe just, maybe you rest your two best guys in the morning and to, oh, to join them in the final. So I swam well enough in the morning to be included in the evening. Um, I think we actually went in in first position, but we knew that the Americans would have a brand new team in the evening. So we went in there. Um, I think our first summer touched in fifth. Uh, I dove in fourth. No, sorry, he mustn't touch in fourth. I dove in fourth. I brought us up to third. And then we had someone finish off, James Guy, and brought us up to silver position behind the Americans. Now, the Americans were maybe a little bit further ahead of us, but second, third, fourth, and fifth were like neck and neck. But I felt really happy with it. And this is when it goes back to it, is an individual sport or a team. Like, we were there representing and working together as a team, but I knew that I had an individual role to fill. Yeah. So me diving in in fourth position, technically out of medal contention to them for them for me to bring myself into bronze medal uh, position, I felt like, you know, I've done my job there. I've done yeah. a pretty good yeah. pretty good leg. Uh, and then our last guy, Jimmy Guy, brought us up to silver. So it worked out really well. Our team did fantastic. We broke the British record, the best we'd ever done. And to win that silver medal was incredible. And like, you know, you look at the American teams, they had Michael Phelps, they had Ryan Lochte. So it was a cool experience for me because I was racing some of my teammates. It's essentially gold, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, you can look at it like that. I think you're about to say as much, but there's another part of this is that the, the Commonwealth was, it's, again, we've just established it's not really a solo effort, but in, in that particular moment it is yeah. a solo effort. But you're also saying in this uh, at the Olympics, you had the opportunity to do as much as you could for the team. Yeah. So kind of wherever it ended up, correct me if I'm wrong, wherever it ended up, as long as you'd gotten in, mm -hmm. done exactly what you could for the team, yeah. and then left the rest in the hands of the rest of the team and, and Lady Luck, yeah. you were going to be quite happy with that. 100%. Yeah. And, and assuming what you obviously look at your times and your splits, and the time that I went in that final was wasn't the best one I'd ever done, but it was good enough, and it was, I think, the second fastest split I'd ever done. And I thought that, then, you know, to do that at the Olympic Games when the pressure's on, sure, you're yeah. in the final, like... You having know, swam that morning as well. Having swam that morning was... Was amazing. So yeah, you obviously you go around, you, you do your lap of honor, you get the medal, but then it's straight back to work. Like swimming is 
is it eight days of swimming if you're lucky you've got several events i had two events so the next morning i was back up again for the tuna medley and um, which was my only individual race and I was on Clyde Nine. I just won Olympic silver medal, so I'm like, this is a free ride. Like, let's just see. This is really, really enjoy this one. Before we break down the individual component, this is a village question. Yeah, and I hope I'm not the only person that's feeling compelled to ask it. But when you're done in the relay, do you get out to observe the rest, or do you stay in the water? Because I can imagine the difference in observation as a participant of a team of four outside of the pool versus inside the pool is a very different experience. Yeah. So when you finish your actual leg of the relay... Do you want to know that as well? Yeah. Do you know the answer? No. no, Okay, good. I I feel better. Proceed. Thank you. (laughs) When you finish your leg of the relay, say you go first, the lane-up's not that big, so there's not space for you to stay. So you climb immediately out. Okay. So then you're like... I thought that, but... So then you're right behind. I'm just thinking, I've I've seen pictures of people... It might just be in training, though. I've seen pictures of, like, faces as somebody's turning. But So, yeah. So you get right out, but then... Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, carry on, carry yeah. on, Dan. So you you basically go from you know doing your role and being a, a, a an individual competitor in the relay to then being like a supporter. Yeah, so yeah. you're like about to climb in the box, and I'm like screaming in your face, like let's fucking go, for yeah. this. like let's go for this. So you you get to like you know you get to do your role within the team, and then you get to then become a supporter of the team right, like straight team. away, yeah. which is really really cool. And you get like a bird's eye view. The adrenaline from getting out the pool. And then watching the last guy go must be yeah. absolutely insane. Just giddy, like a child. You know, when you're a child, you just get the the urge to just run. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. That, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Just it's I'm mad. having a good time. I'm gonna I'm gonna start running. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like so loud. There's so much going on. Every team is screaming for their their guy in the yeah. water. There's yeah. there's someone on the block about to dive in who's just feeling the pressure. Um, but it that was a really cool experience to have and. That's why I loved the relays because it was you're, you've got three other guys you're doing it with, so it made it a lot, a lot more special. To ha- so to have a memory like that where I was part of a relay that did w- really well, and to have a memory of yeah. the Commonwealth Games where it was individual, you know, I feel like I've, I've got the best of both worlds there. Yeah, um, for sure, and that sounds so. Um, yeah, but so then I'm just delighted with this conversation. Really yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> and then individual, yeah. totally individual, t- yeah. So total like, different ball game. It's 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 a really quick turnaround, and obviously, like I've just won Olympic medal. I'm on cloud nine. I'm barely sleeping. I've got so much caffeine through my body. I need to then <laughs> bring myself down, try and get some good rest, and back up again in the morning. So back up again in the morning. Um, I think I'd I'd made the final the year before at World Champs, so I knew that you know if I get top eight, get another Olympic final under my belt, that would be an amazing result. So get through the prelims, get through the semi-finals, and then I'm in the final with like the world record holder Ryan Lochte, Michael Phelps. We all know who he is. The Asian record holder, the Australian record holder, the Brazilian record holder, and then there's like me as well. And I'm just like, this is fairy tale ending. Did you feel like you belonged there? Because clearly you did belong there. But did you f- like you just named all these people? Did you think, and why am I here? Or did yeah, you think, no, and I'm here because I'm Dan fucking Wallace. <laughs> In a way, no, definitely did because yeah, I've, I've just recited who these, these individuals yeah, are yeah. but when but I'm you're probably reciting who you are hopefully they are yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when I'm stood behind the block I don't give a, I don't care who they are I don't yeah. I, they're, they're a yeah. number to okay. me at that point I can okay. say I can hype them up now but at, at the time I'm like there's three guys to my right there's three guys to my left you know it doesn't matter who they are it doesn't matter that one of them is the greatest Olympian of all time at that point like I need to treat them as equals because if I think oh he's Phelps he's going to win of course he's going to win and he did win but <laughs> Spoiler alert! But I went into Shock. that as like a free ride. It was a free ride for me, and I was just yeah, I was 
you know, kind of happy to be there, which maybe isn't the attitude you need or want at that time. But I knew that this was just another thing that I could say I've achieved. And, yeah. you know, I did pretty well. And it was quite funny because the guy next to me, Tiago Piera from Brazil, was one of the only kind of medal hopes for Brazil were in Brazil. And there's thousands of fans. And usually before swimming race, it's like, it's quiet. Right? It's like dead quiet. Yeah. The whole crowd, Tiago, Tiago. Oh, yeah, yeah. for about three minutes. And I'm standing there like... Come on, I'm like, I'm ready to get in. I'm getting a bit cold. We're looking for soul tires. Yeah, like, Please. where's the Scottish flags? Um, so the energy was just wild. So he went out really fast, and he actually kind of brought me out with him. So we both went out a bit too fast. But it was a, it was amazing kind of cherry in the top moment for me and to race. Like, I had two races, both against Michael Phelps. Like, yeah, I think that's a bit unfair, to be honest. But it's, it's it was an unfortunate draw. Yeah, it's an unfortunate draw, but I loved it. And um, yeah, looking back on that, you know, the, the results I got from Rio were amazing. And then the experience of like, the village and being in Olympia and, yeah. and being over there for, for four weeks was phenomenal. Yeah. Mate, what a story. I know. What a story. It's not bad. So I think that's quite a, a neat place to jump off and, to and unpack what happened next, yeah. which is essentially the big challenge, which is the weight of gold slash silver in this case, but the weight of a career that is very monostructural and transitioning out of it into Horizons New. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. We thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah and really st- don't stick around. Wait a week and then listen to episode two. Or if you're listening to this at some point in the future, then it should already be there. So just a reminder to do all of the podcasty stuff. Follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, please. And check us out on YouTube. Check out social channels that are linked in the show notes. Links in there as well. Just we say this enough. Just just do it all. If you haven't done it yet already, then I wouldn't need to keep saying it. So thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. Cheers. <laughs>